Please uh, turn with me in the Word of God to 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. We remember this letter uh, is uh, written uh, for the church in the world so that whatever uh, the people of God are facing, whatever you might be facing, uh, this is a letter uh, given to us, uh, given many years ago, but given for us too today as we seek to be God's uh, faithful people representatives of the Lord Jesus in here, uh, in this country, in the United States of America, wherever the Lord might call us. And so 1 Peter 1, uh, we'll begin reading at uh, verse 13, and we're going to read down to verse 21. We're going to focus this morning on those last two verses, verses 20 uh, through 21. So this is the eternal, uh, unerring, infallible uh, word of God. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, as we have already sung uh, together this morning, that we have our desire to hear more uh, about Jesus. And so we thank you for your word, and we thank you that as uh, that word has been read. We pray that as your word is proclaimed, that indeed, Lord, by your grace, we would see more of Jesus, uh, even today, uh, that we would also love him more. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the word is, uh, the word is glory. Glory. Glory means uh, praise, honor, distinction extended by common consent, renown means wonderful praise, honor, and thanksgiving. It means great beauty and splendor, magnificence, something marked by beauty or resplendence, glory. What comes to mind when you think of the word glory? Well, as one who uh, enjoys history, I think of the 1989 Civil War film called Glory. Um, about the 54th Massachusetts Infantry Regiment, one of the Union Army's earliest African-American regiments in the Civil War. Stars Matthew Broderick, if you don't know, as Colonel Robert Gould Shaw, uh, the regiment's white commanding officer, who eventually volunteers his regiment on July 18, 1863, to lead a charge against Fort Wagner in Charleston Harbor in South Carolina. At the end of the battle, one half, one half, of the thousand-man regiment was taken prisoner, wounded, missing in action, dead, or dying. 
and uh, Shaw, as you may know, would die leading the assault uh, with his men. And some would call that a, uh, a glorious charge. Glory. Glorious. What comes to mind? Well, I looked on Amazon. Uh, and Amazon, the first 10, I think, listings listed a, a glorious gaming mouse. Uh, lots of, uh, I guess that's a company that builds stuff for gamers. Glorious is the company's name. Uh, Thomas the Tank DVD goes by the name of Mud, Glorious Mud. Um, you might think of a glorious sunset. Uh, you might think of a glorious hamburger, like on Friday night when your pastor cooked you hamburgers. It was glorious, wasn't it? I know, I know. Um, but do you ever associate that word with your Christian faith? Do you ever use that word to speak of the one whom you have put your faith in? Now, the Bible does. Peter does. And we want to ask this morning, why must we? Well, last time uh, we considered that there is a therefore for the Christian. Remember, only a Christian can respond to the call to Christian living. Uh, so our question uh, must always first be, of course, when we read First Peter, am I, first of all, in Christ? Um, do I belong to him? And if so, there is a therefore. If you have received grace and salvation, there will be holiness of life. And there will be fear of God. As a Christian, uh, you know that you're called to bear the family likeness and you're united to Christ. He's with you wherever you go. And that brings you great comfort and also reminds you that you are his representative on this earth, in this world. And you're called to bring the aroma of Jesus Christ to all those around you. And because he is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct. And because you know that you have been ransomed from your futile way of life of sin in the past and that you are a part of the blood-bought people of God. Because Jesus Christ has shed his precious blood, we're told, for you in order to rescue you both from the punishment and the power of sin. And you know his blood has rescued you from the guilt and the grasp of sin. And you know that his blood has rescued you from the judgment and the dominion of sin. You live your life on this earth in all your conduct, says Peter, in the fear of God. That is, uh, with an overwhelming sense of the awe and wonder and reverence that belongs only to God. And therefore, you fear no man, no government, no power, no evil, not even death itself. Because to fear God, of course, is to be free from all other fears. But the apostle is not done speaking of Christ. It's almost as if, as Peter had came to that last reference of, he, you know, he mentioned how we're ransomed by the precious blood of Christ shed for us. It's almost as if uh, uh, Peter's thoughts are kind of taken away, and he wants to tell us more about Jesus. He just mentioned that precious blood, uh, but he, he can't contain himself. He, wants to, he needs to say a little more about Jesus. And so to encourage us even further in being rooted and grounded in the marvelous truth of God's grace to us in Jesus, which Peter knows serves as the motivation for all of Christian living, and all we say, and all we do and think, no matter how hostile the world is to us, the apostle wants to zero in a little closer on this Jesus, whose blood has transformed you from top to bottom. And so he wants us to know 
that Jesus is the chosen, Jesus is the revealed, and Jesus is the glorious one. First of all, Jesus is the chosen one. Notice what verse 20 says. He, that's Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Now, you might remember that this is the very same word that the Apostle Peter uses of you if you're a believer this morning. He said this in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So we are, as Christians, strangers and aliens in the world, but chosen and elect and foreknown by God. And so, uh, just as God's people are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, so Jesus, Peter says, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And remember that word foreknown means foreloved, loved beforehand, known intimately beforehand. Uh, It means foreordained beforehand. God the Father, Peter says, has assigned a predestined role to Christ in eternity, foreknown before the foundation of the world. Well, we read about this elsewhere. The Apostle Paul also says this in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Writes one of this word foreknown. It's used of God's eternal counsel. It includes all that he has considered and purposed to do prior to human history. In the language of Scripture, something foreknown is not simply that which God was aware of before a certain point. Rather, it's presented as that which God gave prior consent to that which received his favorable or special recognition. Hence, this term foreknown is reserved for those matters which God favorably, deliberately, and freely chose and ordained. In other words, this Jesus, whose life and work and sacrifice Peter has just described in verses 18 and 19, he was foreknown or chosen for this work before the world began. Why is that important? Well, well, I guess that means that God doesn't create the world, watch Adam and Eve fall into sin, and then go to plan B and decide, "Uh uh-oh, I was hoping for better things, but now I better do something about this, or, or how can I salvage something from this mess? That's not God. He doesn't do that with Adam and Eve, and he doesn't do that with your life either. You know, something might happen to you in your Christian life or in my Christian life and say, oh, what's God possibly going to make of this? Say, no, no, Uh, he, he knows from before the creation of the world, everything will work out to the counsel of his, his will. Uh, There's no plan B's with God. God is never reactive. God is always proactive, you see. God never reacts to us as if something new has happened to him and he doesn't know what to do. He's always proactive. That means he's always sovereign 
even in the life of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. God the Father chose the Son. He appointed the Son, foreknew the Son before history began, before the time-space continuum came into being, and eternity passed so that all things would work out according, as Ephesians says, to the counsel or the senate of his will. Jesus refers to this plan in John 6. Remember, Jesus is talking in John 6 about the sheep, and he, he says, the Father has given me a sheep. He's given me a people. And I have come to die for those people. Elsewhere, Jesus says, I, I come to lay down my life. I don't, I, I'm not forced to lay down my life. I willingly lay down my life. And so the Father has appointed the Son for this work. The Father has given the Son a people. The, the Son willingly comes and willingly sacrifices His life. And the Holy Spirit uh, applies that work to believers. You see, that's the counsel of God, the Senate of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work. Jesus was foreknown. So in other words, this is the first thing. When we think about more about Jesus, no accident, you know, the cross, the resurrection. This is God's sovereign purpose before the world began. Why is this all so important? Well, Paul will tell us simply in these words, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then he says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All this is from God. And so we boast in him, not in ourselves. Uh, More about Jesus, the foreknown one, that he would be our Savior. He's also the revealed one. Notice what verse 20 says. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Made manifest there means revealed, uh, means uh, appeared, means uh, known, means um, made conspicuous. That is, you can't miss him. In these last times, that is, eschatological times, that's the Greek word there, eschatos, uh, the last eschatological times for the sake of you. That is, Peter's readers, whether it's 2,000 years ago or you sitting here at Sovereign Grace today, manifested, appeared for the sake of you. Now, he's here, he's come, he's appeared. That word last times uh, refers in the New Testament to the whole period from Jesus' birth uh, to his eventual return. You remember in the, on the day of Pentecost when uh, the Father and Son pour out the Holy Spirit uh, on His people and the Holy Spirit comes and, uh, uh, and they interpret that as, well, you think these folks are drunk because they are, they are speaking in foreign languages, foreign tongues, uh, but it's, it's, it's only in the morning. No, what's happening here is in fulfillment of Joel 2 uh, that your sons and daughters will, uh, will prophesy. And Joel speaks about this happening in the last times or in the last Days and the apostles say, This is now the last times. Peter or Paul will refer to this when he speaks to Timothy. He'll say, You know, in the last times, in the last days, people aren't going to, you know, they're not going to put up with sound doctrine and they're going to be doing all sorts of crazy things and they're going to turn away from the word. And, and then he gives Timothy an example of what's, what's happening right there in Timothy's day as an example of what he just said in 2 Timothy 3. The last times. Now, 
Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 talks about Jesus. It used to be that the Father revealed himself in diverse ways through prophecies and visions, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, last times. 1 John 2, 18, remember when John was talking about Antichrist. He says, even now, lots of Antichrists are in the world because this is the last hour. Last time, last day, last hour. So, now Peter says, um, in these last times, Jesus now has been made manifest. He has been made conspicuous. Uh, He has been revealed for all to see. Now, I don't know if you, uh, I'm sure you do. You're you're familiar with the, uh, the magician David Copperfield. Um, he works, um, I think he still does, uh, but he works with illusions, of course, sleight of hand, that kind of thing. He's big for shows in, in Las Vegas. Well, I don't know if you remember, this is a long time ago, but one time he had a, a TV special uh, where he was in uh, New York City in New York Harbor at the Statue of Liberty and uh, with a live audience, uh, July 4th tomorrow, so this fits. So a massive curtain is hoisted up to cover the statue. And uh, he drops the curtain, and it disappeared. And there's a helicopter overhead, and there's searchlights trying to show to the TV audience, of course, that, that it's gone. And then the massive curtain, of course, goes up again. And then, uh, you know, there's a few awkward moments of silence. And then the curtain drops, and there it is. Uh, the statue in all its splendor, and you could hear the crowds, a collective intake of breath. <gasps> the statue revealed. That was magic. Although it wasn't. And he got sued, actually, a couple years later. And Anyway, a lot of his tricks came out in court. But anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. That was magic. Um, this revelation. You know, <sighs> See, this is, this, is, this is the point here, you see. There's, there's a revelation. There is, there, when we think about the Christian faith, the Bible says, Peter says, the re, this is the revelation of Jesus. This is revelation of truth. Jesus has been manifested in all his glory now in the last times for the sake of you and me. So don't think, I think what Peter's saying here is this, don't think something better is coming. Don't think that more is on the way. Don't think with the Jews that the Messiah will come one day down the road or that there is somehow another Savior that's going to be revealed to you. Now is the last time, says Peter. The next big event, of course, in the Bible is not the end of the world through rising sea levels or destruction by alien invasion or global warming to the point of obliteration. Well, the next thing to happen in the Bible is the return of Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead. And verse 17, you remember, reminds us, and if you call on him as Father who who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. That reminds us that he is an impartial judge. He is righteous and true, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All will be judged by the same standard, but that's the next great event and all in Christ, uh, their sin is, you know, judged already. But the Bible also says all our works as Christians will be judged too. It will go through uh, the fire of God. And if we built our Christian life with hay, stubble, and straw, it'll be burned up. We will escape, the Bible says. We'll be saved. It's not a judgment of our sin. Jesus died for our sin. 
But if we build with precious gems and gold and silver, well, that, through the fire of God, that'll remain. And all that we've done for God to His glory, it goes, goes, uh, remains, you see. But the point is this. If Christianity is anything, Peter says, it's revelation from God. Truth has been revealed. And that truth is found in Jesus. And it's all come now in the last times for the sake of you. Leon Morris says this, Paul assures us that, Paul, thinking about another passage, Paul assures us that the purpose of Christ giving himself for our sins is to deliver us, even as Peter reminds us. He's not thinking of deliverance on a small scale. So this is just talking about what God has done for us in Jesus. It is the deliverance of all the people of God at all times and in all places from all their sins. Uh, Listen to what he says, such a gigantic work that is saving all his people from all times of all their sin. Such a gigantic work, says Morris, demands a gigantic person. Paul doesn't think of him simply as great. Such a great one might be far removed from men, both in his nature and in his sympathies. In what is perhaps the most moving verse in Scripture, Paul speaks of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The high and lofty one whose death can affect such great things yet stoops to know the individual more he loves him. See what he said there? Because sin is such a gigantic problem of all God's people through all times and all places, and he's a gigantic person (laughs) to save us. And that person is Jesus, and Peter says that person has come and manifested for the sake of you writes another, Peter thus focuses the whole, listen, the whole divine counsel from before the foundation of the world upon his readers and sets them, strangers and pilgrims as they are, in the forefront of the drama of history. The fact would help them to realize the love of God and the privilege of their calling and so would strengthen them in the midst of the world's indifference and cruelty. Yeah, it's true. The world, as it was for the folks in Peter's day, the world might be against you, but no matter the world against you, says Peter, this one is for you. More about Jesus. Chosen revealed, and glorious. Verse 20, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Glory is the word doxa. It means praise, honor. At the end of our worship services, we usually have something in our bulletin called the doxology, which simply means a word of praise. We don't want to leave the place of worship without uh, leaving with some kind of word of praise or word of glory to God. And so we might sing, glory be to the Father. We might sing, all glory be to Christ. We might sing, now unto Him be all praise. We might sing, praise God. 
from whom all blessings flow. Doxa. God the Father gave Jesus doxa, gave him glory. Well, how is he given glory by the Father? Well, first of all, Peter says, by raising him uh, from the dead. He raised him from the dead and gave him glory that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. You see, he exalted him. He was faithful in his life, faithful in his death, and God raised him from the dead and gave him glory that every knee should bow. We read about this, of course, throughout the book of Acts, over and over again. Acts 5.30 simply says this. This is Peter preaching. He says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So here's the thing. God raised him from the dead and gave Jesus glory, praise and honor and exaltation so that we would all bow before him in worship. Now, if, um, if God the Father gives Jesus glory, uh, so should we, because he is the exalted one. Our problem, of course, is what Paul Tripp, I think, uh, I think how he put it, our problem is we are glory, we are glory thieves. We are glory thieves. It, it goes back, of course, back to, to Romans 1, where uh, the Apostle Paul says, uh, claiming to be wise, that's us, they became fools, that's us, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God is glorious. Uh, the whole earth tells of his glory, proclaims his glory. We see that glory, but we exchange and say, no thanks. Uh, I'm going to try to find some glory in these created things rather than in God himself. We fail to glorify God. Instead, we find glory in other things or people, including ourselves. Now, this is where the Facebook uh, generation encourages us because the Facebook generation uh, it really should be called the, um, the look-at-me generation. I mean, I don't, outside my house... Outside my house, I don't, have a, I don't have a poster board. I don't have a poster board outside my house listing who I am or everything that I've done that day, all the good things I've done. I don't put a poster board on the street saying, look at me, everybody on the street. I'm such a wonderful person. I do so many good things. Please applaud me. I don't do that. And we never have, but we do today. We don't have to. I mean, there's, it's, it's technology like anything else. But you ask yourself, how many times do you post something, Twitter, something, whatever? Because you're saying, look at me. Rather than look at the Lord. And surely Facebook can be used for that and praise God. Oh, but the temptation is, and the technology is, that we would grab some glory for ourselves. You see, God gave him glory. Imagine if tomorrow's uh, July 4th, right? Let's say you go to Joshua Tree tomorrow, 
with some friends. And let's say it's the middle of the day, and you're out at Joshua Tree to celebrate uh, July 4th. I know going on Joshua Tree July 4th is not a good idea. But let's, uh, but let's say you do, and you got three or four friends. You all got a lantern. One lantern's 30 watts, the other's 60, the other's 100. And you're out standing in the middle of Joshua Tree in the middle of the day, um, and, uh, and you're saying to each other, hey, look at these lamps we bought at Home Depot. Uh, mine's 30 watt. Ooh, not bad, not bad. I got a 60 watt right here, look. Uh, I've, got, I've got a 100 watt. Let me get it from the car. Here we go. How's that? And all three of you, you know, argued about the, the, the wattage in your lamp when the, the blazing sun is burning your head. Now you get, you get sunstroke because it's so... You know, and here we're arguing about um, the wattage in our lamps. More about Jesus, please. More about Jesus. And so Peter says, I've got to tell you some more about Jesus. Before, before the foundation of the world, you see, he's been revealed now, and, and God gave him glory. That means praise and, and honor and to laud and to celebrate. And all of it, says Peter here in this passage this morning, has a purpose. And it's this. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. For the sake of you. For the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory. Why? So that your faith and your hope are in God. Through him are believers in God. Peter reminds us this morning. It's only through him, you see. The only way you believe in God, the only way you come to believe in God is through him. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And it's only, friends, when we, by God's grace, have his glory revealed to us, you see, that we go to him, and so through him, become believers, believers in God. Not simply professors of God, but those who actually have faith in him and who actually who trust him, who, who actually put their hope, as Peter said earlier, fully on God. And if you have a church, if you have a people who have seen more of Jesus chosen before the foundation of the world, manifested to us, raised from the dead, and given glory by the Father, if you have a people uh, who, have, who have seen that by God's grace, your faith and your hope are not in yourself, not in the world, but your faith and hope are in God. So that whatever, whatever, whatever may come in this world, you see, will not shake us, will not destroy us. Because, of course, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. 
And the one who saved us uh, is greater, you see, than all. Give him glory, friends, because the Father has set the standard for us, you see. He's worthy. He's worthy of all your praise and all my praise today. Let's pray uh, together. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we need to hear more uh, about Jesus. Oh, Lord, we hear so much about ourselves. We uh, talk so much about ourselves. We hear so much about the world. We hear so much about sin. We hear so much about the problems and um, the trials. And so, Lord, thank you for the Apostle Peter. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that this morning, through the Word of God, we might hear more about Jesus, who is worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory, because though you are high and and lofty and glorious and praiseworthy, you have told us that this Jesus has been manifested for our sakes, that our faith and our hope might be in the God who sent his Son, that we might be saved and that we might come to know him, whom to know is life eternal. May it be so, dear God, for your great glory and for our good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.